Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24, how Eleazar had clear communication, and how when we present the gospel, we should clearly communicate like pastors going over the marriage vows with a future husband and wife. Now, we want to thank you for your listenership and your support of the Friendship with God radio program. And we also want to encourage you to be a one-time or monthly supporter of this unique Bible teaching radio program. And by you supporting Friendship with God, you will help to keep this Bible teaching radio program going on this station in your city. Now, you won't find any Bible teaching program on radio like Tom Cantor and Friendship with God, expository teaching out of Genesis that spans into every book of the Bible. Now, from the perspective also of a saved, born-again Jewish man teaching about the Jewishness of the Scriptures and the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would like to encourage you to donate today by mail or by going online or calling us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. And you can also mail in your support by writing to Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, 92071. Again, that's P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. So again, Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Now let's begin our Bible study with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. I've had to have done that 10 times for each camel. That's 10 trips for a camel. So if there's four camels, that's like 40 trips there. And it's carrying the equivalent of one ton. You know, that's a lot, right, Richard? Even you can't carry one ton. <laughs> and so it would have taken four hours. So for four hours, Eliezer is watching this amazing sight of this woman, and it says she's haste, 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 who's running to do this back and forth 40 times, the 45 pounds, and the water, the well, and the cranking, and the pouring, and the lifting, and the carrying, and the dumping, and the back and forth, and back time. No wonder the proposal was so outrageous. (laughs) If there was a woman who volunteered like that, no doubt she's the one the Lord's appointed to be the wife of, of Isaac, because that's not normal. And he says in verse 45, as the family's listening to this outrageous proposal that he's made to God, when they hear him say in verse 45, before I'd even done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca comes with her pitcher on her shoulder. She went down to the well. She drew water. I said to her, let me drink, I pray, etc. And so he tells them all this is going on in his heart. So when he tells them he's speaking in his heart, he's telling them, there's no way that Rebecca heard me. I was not speaking out loud. I was speaking in my heart. He hadn't even finished his prayer to God when Rebecca appears and the whirlwind starts. She appears so quickly that, you know, he was supposed to say, uh, remember that he kept saying, I was going to ask her for a little sip, a little drink, a little drink. Well, it says here that he didn't even get the word little out. He just says, you know, let me drink because all of a sudden she's there. I pray thee. And then Rebecca, the whirlwind, she kicks into gear and, and he's just stunned. And so then it says in verse 47, we see that he asked her whose daughter she was and then put the earring on her face. And the reason they said earring on her face because it doesn't say earring. It's a nose ring. It made her very attractive with the nose ring. And a bracelet on her hands. Now, what really happened 
in verses 22 through 23, as we saw, is that it didn't quite happen this way either. He jumped the gun, and he put the jewelry on first. Then he asked whose family was ours, but he changed it around. But okay, we give him a little grace for that too. All right, so now, verse 48, he tells them that his response when he saw all this is that he bows down, he worships the Lord, he blesses God, and he says, you led me in the right way to take my master brother's daughter unto his son. So we see Eliezer tells them that he's worshipped God, and he's bold, he's bold to tell them that it's God that led him in the right way to take Rebekah to Isaac. And notice what Eliezer says at the end of verse 48 to describe what happened at the well. He says that the Lord led me in the right way to take my master brother's daughter unto his son. See, when he says, led me in the right way, he's using a word when he says right there, which is the word, the Hebrew word emet, which is the word for true or truth. And so what he's really saying here is that the Lord led him in the true way, in the way of truth, as opposed to the false way. In other words, he was saying that Rebekah was the woman, that truly the woman that God had chosen to be a wife for Isaac. So he's using this, by using this word true, Eliezer is saying that it was for sure that Rebekah was God's choice for a wife for Isaac. Now, it becomes very interesting to us to watch Eliezer because now he's sure that Rebekah is God's true choice for the wife for Isaac. So clearly, if this whole matter from this point was all up to Eliezer, he would just take Rebekah for Isaac and say, this is the will of God, and that's it. But it's not totally all up to Eliezer. And Eliezer is not the decision maker in this matter as to whether or not Rebekah comes. And it's important for us to watch Eliezer because what he does answers for us the question, What do you do when you know something is the will of God, but you're not the decision maker? And that's the case of Eliezer here. It's very important for us, especially in evangelism. Because in evangelism, we know that the will of God is for every person to be saved. Because that's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we give the lost person the gospel... And we know it's God's will for him to be saved. There's no question about it. God's will is for every lost person to be saved. God's will is that not one lost person should perish. According to 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if it's God's will for everyone to be saved, and if it's God's will for no one to perish, then why isn't everyone saved? Why is it that there are some that perish? That's God's will for everyone to be saved, and that no one should perish. Then why isn't everyone saved? Well, how come people perish? Because who can resist God's will? And the answer is that God has given to man the ability to resist his will. And when it comes to accepting or rejecting God's salvation offer, God has given man to resist that offer, to resist that invitation, to resist that will. God does not believe in any form of forced marriages. And God does not practice forced marriages when it comes to the bride of Christ. And every person who has become a part of the bride of Christ by receiving Christ as Savior has done it by his own will. By his own choice, he had the ability to say no thank you to God and walk away in unbelief, but he chose to receive Christ. So that's the bride that God is seeking for his son. 
Those who come to him by their own choice, not because they're forced by some irresistible force from God. So what we're seeing in these verses is a lesson for evangelism for how to conduct ourselves when we know that it's the will of God for a person to be saved. Because Eliezer shows us what to do. First, Eliezer has told them all the reasons that Rebekah is God's choice for a wife for Isaac, and there's no uncertainty in what Eliezer has said. Eliezer is not saying to the family, I think she might be the right one. She's a good candidate. She may be the one. She'd make a good wife for Isaac. You know, she really works hard. <laughs> Look at those camels. And, but Eliezer is saying, she is the one. She is the one that God has chosen for Isaac. So we see Eliezer here, he's boldly confident that Rebekah is God's choice and there's no question about it. This shows to us that when we present the gospel, it must be with the same confidence that this is the will of God for this lost person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, notice in the last part of verse 48 how Eliezer makes it very clear what he's asking for. So in the last part of verse 48, what's Eliezer asking for? He said, to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. He said, this is very clear what he's asking for. I I want to take her. That's very clear. I want to take her. And he said, I want to take my master's brother's daughter. Good. You've got a daughter? Yeah, I want to take that daughter to, to his son. There's no doubt in anyone's mind what Eliezer was asking the family for. What Eliezer said, it shows us that when we present the gospel, there should be no doubt what we are asking the lost person to do. We're not just asking the lost person to repeat some words. No more are we doing that, no more than a prospective bride is being asked to repeat some marriage vows and then go home and live alone like she did before. Those are marriage vows that from that point on will change the life of the person she vows or she says, I'm going to have, I'm going to hold from this day forward, every condition of life. I'm going to love, I'm going to cherish, I'm going to treasure, I'm going to respect, I'm going to forsake all others, I'm going to remain faithful from this day forward. And if a bride came to the marriage ceremony and repeated those words and then changed back out of the marriage clothes into her normal clothes to go back to her apartment to live alone again, We'd say, what are you doing? You know, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm going back home. What? I thought all I had to do was just put on the marriage dress and repeat the words. I didn't think I was going to have to change my life over this. Tremendous teaching from the Old Testament, and we'll get back to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program here in just a moment. We want to encourage you to get some of Tom Cantor's resources, as well as go to our bookstore that's online. You can find our bookstore and our resources, many of them for free and some for purchase, at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. While there, you can also sign up online at friendshipwithgod.org for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that will come to your email or to your phone. So sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. And also, you can donate to support this Bible teaching radio program with an online donation through our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the donate button. Help support this Bible teaching radio program with Tom Cantor and Friendship with God staying on this station in your city. We need your support. So donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. It sounds funny, right? We'd say, no, those were serious vows which you promised to change your life. You're going to have, you're going to hold, you're going to love, you're going to cherish, you're never going to forsake your new husband. And if she looks shocked, 
and she said, I don't think so, then we would say, you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared to make these vows. In the same way, if we push a lost person just to repeat words of the sinner's prayer, and the person goes back to the same life that they had before after repeat it, we haven't done our job. The sinner's prayers, they are eternal marriage vows to the Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn puts it, Oh Jesus, I promised to serve thee till the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. See, the sinner's prayers, they're solemn vows. We're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind. We're going to have him. We're going to hold him. We're going to cherish him. We're going to treasure him. We're going to respect him. We're going to put him first place in the heart and serve him forever. That's why Eliezer's words at the end of verse 48 are so important. I don't want there to be any doubt about this. I'm asking to take my mother's brother's son unto his daughter, unto his son. So when we present the gospel, we need to see ourselves as pastors giving premarital counseling and going over the marriage vows and explaining them very carefully, making sure that each point, each part is understood carefully. There's no doubt. You know, I remember when I attended... My friend's an orthodox Hasidic marriage of my friend's daughter. That was an experience. To the rabbi's son in New Jersey. That was really something. Talk about feeling a little out of place. <laughs> it was very interesting. Because during the ceremony, the bride and the groom, they stood under the chuppah canopy there with the rabbi, and they seemed to have this like endless private conversation with the rabbi. It just went on and on. It was a full 30 minutes. And I asked the people next to me, I said, what are they doing up there? <laughs> and I was told, I said, well, the rabbi is going over the vows point by point with them privately. You're here, you're just watching, you don't hear anything. But he's going over them so that there's no doubt in their minds what commitments they are making and the couple is making to each other and before God. And during this 30 minutes, which seemed like endless, Jeffrey, the bride's brother, where he was singing to their side. It seemed like a very long time. Nothing was said. That was an important part of the ceremony because that was the eye-to-eye time. That was the eye-to-eye time with the rabbi. That was the eye-to-eye time of, do you clearly understand? Do you clearly understand what you're doing? Do you clearly understand this commitment you're going to make here? Eliezer's statement at the end of verse 48 is like that. I don't want there to be any doubt. I'm here to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. I'm here to take her away to him. That was Eliezer's eye-to-eye time. Do you clearly understand? Now, we see where Eliezer moves next with what he says to the family in verse 49. He says, if you'll deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. I'll turn to the right or the left. And so, in verse 49, Eliezer uses two words to describe what their response will be. What are those two words in verse 49? He's saying, if they agree, they will be dealing blank and blank with Abraham. Kindly and truly. Okay, kindly and truly. Chesed. Is kindly. Emmet, again, the same word we saw before, is the truth. And if they agreed to let Rebecca go, then the family would be dealing kindly and truly with who? With his master, with Abraham. See, by saying this, Eliezer is saying to them, I'm just the messenger. It's not me. Of course, I'm interested in your response because it determines whether or not I'll be successful in my mission, but the person who's really more interested in me is Abraham. And your response today is really a response to Abraham. So be sure that you're communicating with Abraham through me. I'll carry your response back to Abraham. I'll do that. And if you agree to let me take back Rebekah to become the wife of Isaac, you'll be dealing chesed. You'll be dealing loving kindly with him. You'll be dealing emmet. Not with me, but with Abraham. It's interesting that Eliezer uses these words kindly and truly to describe the response 
as their opportunity. This is your opportunity, folks, he could say to the family. This is your opportunity here. What he's doing here, really, he's put two parts to his plea. The first part is the kindly or the chesed part of his plea. The second part is the truly or the emet part of his plea. And we need to examine this. First part, he says kindly or chesed, which means very loving, very kind way. So first, Eliezer is saying that Abraham is extending to you uh, through me, Eliezer, the hand of chesed, the hand of kindness, and you have the opportunity to extend it back. Eliezer said that if they agreed to let Rebekah be taken, this would be a reciprocal chesed, a reciprocal kind response back to the loving kindness of Abraham. On the contrary, if they did not agree to let Rebekah be taken as the wife to Isaac, then it would be very offensive to Abraham. It would be the opposite of the kindness. It would be a hateful. It would be cruel. And so he's saying that if they don't agree to let Rebekah be taken as Isaac's wife, then it would be offensive, cruel, and hateful to Abraham. And that's a lesson for us in evangelism. Because God's offer for a lost person to be saved and become a part of the bride of Christ is very generous on God's part. It's very kind. It's an offer by God the Father. And if a lost person responds positively to the generous and loving offer of God, the Father, through us to be saved and become a part of the bride of Christ, then the lost person deals kindly with God the Father. He returns the kindness. But if the lost person agrees to be saved and become a part of the bride, he's doing what's described in verse 49, dealing kindly with God. But on the other hand, the lost person refuses to be saved, refuses to become a part of the bride of Christ, then the lost person offends God. And he deals with hatred and cruelty to God. And God has a way of returning that in the judgment. And then the second part of Eliezer's plea is we use the word truly or emet or truth. And here he's associating their response with going along with God. See, all truth is associated with God. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, that I am the truth. And so and Eliezer said that a family would be dealing in truth with Abraham. He was saying that you'll be doing the will of God in agreeing to let Rebekah be taken. See, that's the second part of Eliezer's plea, which was the truth part. Now, it's important for us to see that when we bring the gospel to a lost person, just as Eliezer did, we need to emphasize the gospel's not our idea, but this is God's truth. And the gospel comes from God, and we're simply the messengers bringing the truth as the invitation. We see now that Eliezer finishes his speech, and he's telling them, he's told his critical issue, his urgent matter, his word, his debar. And what a powerful speech this is. Very clear, very powerful. I mean, in verse 34, he says, I'm Abraham's servant. Verse 35, he explains the greatness of Abraham. Verse 36, he explains the miracle of the birth of Abraham's son. Verses 37, 38, he explains the oath he's taken to take a wife. Verse 39, he lays open his fear. Verse 40, he explains how he's going to be successful by the angel. Verse 41, he makes it clear that the decision's in their hands. He's not going to push. In verse 43 through 47, he tells him about his prayer, the miraculous answer to the prayer. Verse 48, he tells him, are you sure that God led him to Rebekah? Verse 49 now, he turns to them, he explains their response is going to be a response to Abraham, not him. And it's going to be either one of uh, kindness or cruelty. And it'll be one of either truth or false. And then there is left one last part for Eliezer to finish his speech. And we see this part in two words that Eliezer has used twice in verse 49. What are the two words that Eliezer used twice in verse 49? 
Tell me, tell me, tell me. You'd say, tell me, tell me. It's decision time. I'm finished talking. I poured out my soul to you in a plea. I've done everything I can. I've said with precision the most powerful arguments in this plea to let Rebecca be taken as Isaac's wife. So now he turns down, he locks eyes with them, and he says, now you have to make a decision. Tell me, tell me. He's asking for their decision. What a tragedy it would have been for Eliezer to have given this speech and not come back with the wife because he didn't ask for a decision. What would it have been like you know, for Eliezer to return back to Abraham without the wife? And Abraham would have said, did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife for Isaac? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and everything that I was given to Isaac? Yeah, I told him. Did you ask for a decision? No, I didn't ask for the decision. <laughs> How'd you expect to come and bring back? And why you don't ask for a decision? What's the matter with you? Well, I just figured that if I present everything that they get the idea, then they would just kind of come up with their decision. No, he would have said, you know, you have to ask for a decision. You can't expect someone to agree unless he asks for a decision. Now, on the other hand, think about what a tragedy it would have been for Eliezer to have not come back with a wife because he never made it a speech and he never asked for a decision. Did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and how everything was given to Isaac? No. Did you ask for a decision? No. How'd you expect to bring her back if you don't explain about my greatness and everything goes to Isaac and you never asked for a decision? Well, I just figured if I was friendly, you know, they'd ask me. I just kind of waited around. Thought maybe someone would come and ask a reason uh, for the hope that lies within me or something like that, you know. You know, I figured if I did a lot of good works around him, a very friendly guy, that they would come. And Abraham said, Abraham would say, you can't rely on your friendship. Your good works, what's the matter with you? you know? Now, on the other hand, think about another tragedy if it would have been for Eliezer to have not come back with the wife because he never gave the speech, but he asked for the decision. Did you find my people? Yeah, I found them. Did you find the wife? Yeah, I found her. Did you explain my greatness and everything about Isaac? No. Did you ask for a decision? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you expect her to come if you don't explain about my greatness and how I've given everything to my son and you only ask for a decision? Now we see in this lessons for evangelism because we must present the greatness of God and how everything has been given to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he died on the cross for our sins. There's an invitation to come to him to be saved, to become part of the bride of Christ. We have to explain all that. We see clearly how we must present all that and then ask for the question, ask for the decision. We must present the gospel as who God is, what he's done, and then give the invitation. Then, if we don't do that, we have to see that after we've made the presentation of the gospel, angelic court reporters are sitting at their stenography machines, and they're waiting to take down, they're all ears, they're waiting to take down the response of the sinner. What's your decision? I want to know. But more importantly, God wants to know, and the angelic recorders are standing by, they're ready to record your response. And as Eliezer never, never would have just made a presentation of who Abraham was and Isaac was and how a wife was needed and never have asked for a decision, now always ask the sinner for his decision. Tell me, tell me. We've got to get to this tell me, tell me of Eliezer. Eliezer would, he never would have just asked for a decision without making a presentation of who Abraham was and Isaac was. So we must never press the lost for a decision until we've told them about who God the Father is, who God the Holy Spirit is, who God the Son is, and what they've done. And Eliezer never just would have went to encounter Abraham's family and friendship and never made a speech impressive for a decision. We must never rely on friendship evangelism with the hope that someone's going to ask us for the reason of the hope that lies within us. That's never a substitute for preaching the gospel and asking for a decision. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Eliezer's faithfulness, Lord, to Abraham, and we pray that, Lord, you would help us to be as faithful as he was to Abraham to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another great day of Bible teaching here with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you to pray for our upcoming Summer Blitz campaign to reach lost Jewish people around the U.S. in 17 different cities. This is our fourth year of doing this, and we want you to be a part of it with prayer, but also to help us to reach lost Jewish people. If you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel, you can sign up for a free gift to send to a lost Jewish person at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to have a gift sent directly to them or to have one sent to you to give to them. You can also donate to support Jewish evangelism and getting gospel gifts sent to Jewish people through our Summer Blitz and also through our website and supporting this program. You can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Help continue this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism going. Again, donate online at friendshipwithgod.org or calling us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. We also want to encourage you as Passover is approaching that Tom Cantor has outstanding teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 and Isaiah 53. And it's all from the view and perspective of a Jewish born-again saved Christian and from the Old Testament. It's tremendous teaching on the passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and Jesus Christ for us today. And it's a great gift to give to any Christian at Easter time, and especially for a Jewish person searching for the truth and evidence of who the Messiah is at Passover time. So please call us now and get the personal relevance of the Passover teaching from Tom Cantor. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll get this to you, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Your donation will help support this Bible teaching radio program, Stay on the Air. So give us a call for the personal relevance of the Passover, 800-247-3051.